Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. Welcome everyone to the How to Hunt Deer podcast brought to you by Tacticam. I'm your host, Josh Rayleigh, and this podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. In today's show, I'm talking with Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. If you're not familiar with Parker, he hunts some high-pressured areas in the deep south, and he's one of those guys that just gets it done year in and year out. And one of the reasons I really love talking with Parker is he's one of those guys that thinks about hunting at a different level. He's very analytical. He's big on hunting terrain features. He's aggressive. And he's developed a style that works really well for him in uh, hill country, big woods types of settings. And if you hunt the big woods and hill country, you know it can feel like there are a lot of factors working against you. Pressure wind and thermals, low deer density, everything that comes with hunting big woods. But Parker has made specific moves to deal with each of the variables that give lots of guys trouble. He uses water access to get away from pressure. He's meticulous when it comes to hunting wind and thermals. And he puts himself in those hub areas that hold pockets of deer in areas with an otherwise pretty sparse population. Today I'm talking with Parker about one of his favorite terrain features and one that we hinted at a little bit in the show last week, and that is thermal hubs. These are essentially areas where thermals cost sent to collect and pool in one specific area. Now bucks love to use these areas for bedding. They love to use them during the rut as they provide security and the ability for these bucks to check nearby doe bedding. And it sounds really great, but... These spots can actually be really tricky to hunt without getting busted. So in this show, Parker is going to explain how we can put ourselves in a position to stay undetected and yet be able to take advantage of these sort of buck magnet type of areas. As we get into the show, I want to take a moment to thank our fine sponsors. First of all, Tacticam, the title sponsor of the show. They just launched some pretty sweet new products just in time for fall. They've got their 6.0 point of view camera. I've been using the 5.0 and the 5.0 wide. And uh, man, I, the 6.0 is a pretty significant jump. Uh, it allows you to film in 4K, 60 frames per second, has a built-in screen, which is a huge upgrade. It simplified the process for using the zoom feature on the camera. It allows you to go back and watch the shot right away. They've taken the image stabilization up another notch. It's just a great camera, and you get all that for 329 bucks. It's the absolute cheapest and simplest way to begin filming your hunts and to get high quality video. So if you're a guy saying, hey, I want to try to film my hunts this year, get yourself a Tacticam point of view camera. Don't worry about all the camera arms. Don't worry about everything else. Get a point of view camera, dip your toe into it, get started with a Tacticam camera. You will not be disappointed. Go check them out at Tacticam.com and revealcellcam.com. Next up, Deer Lab. I love this tool. It allows you to store all of your trail cam photos in one place, keeps everything organized, helps you keep track of your cameras in the field. You can set it up with custom tags and profiles for specific deer. 
One thing I love about Deer Lab is that they're totally cool with you and a buddy sharing it. So if you have a trusted hunting partner, uh, a friend of yours that uh, you want to be sharing trail camera intel with, you can both be uploading trail camera images to the same place, sharing that data without having to send pictures back and forth or swap you know, camera cards or that kind of thing. Right now, you can get a 30-day free trial at their website, DeerLab.com. When you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. And finally, Huntworth, if you are looking to upgrade your camo this fall, check out their gear. As avid hunters, we demand a lot from our clothing. And if you're like me, you don't want to have to explain to the wife why your new camo system is going to be three grand up front to get it, get it going. Now, Huntworth has great gear, but it comes at an affordable price. Their patterns are great. I especially love the Tarnin pattern. I think it's probably the best all-season option. Like if I just, if I had to choose one for early, mid, and late season, that's the one I'm going to be going with, uh, especially for guys that are in the eastern half of the United States. But you can go check out all their patterns, all their other products at HuntworthGear.com. With that said, thank you again for listening. Now let's talk Thermal Hubs with Parker McDonald. All right, on the show with me today is my southern brother, host of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, Parker McDonald. What's going on, man? Oh, man, just uh, absorbing some rays from the sun, listening to the beach behind me, and uh, having a good vacation. Man, it looks like a pretty miserable backdrop behind you there. Yeah. Just, it's got to be a tough life. You know, it's funny. Uh, we've been here now for, I've been here for four days. I haven't even went to the beach. Not one time. Oh, are you like, serious? I went to, yeah, I, I, I went fishing this morning. Um, but like on a pier, you know, it wasn't like going to the beach and I've went to the pool a few times, but I don't know. We just, I, I come to the beach for the fresh seafood. That's pretty much it. Yep. Like, yep. That's the only, like when I think about, ah, oh, yes, vacation, I think about eating fresh seafood. That's it. You don't, don't think about, about sand. Beach, I don't you don't think about sand no, getting in places that, that it shouldn't? Crap. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> never never once have I been like, you know what sounds good right now? Getting sand in my butt. That sounds like a great great idea. That's never been thought across my mind. Oh, man. that I th- That's one of the ways I think you can tell a southerner. Like, that's the difference between a southerner going to the beach and somebody from up north going to the beach is a southerner goes down there to, like, eat food and sit in the condo and maybe go fishing. And northerners go down there and they're like, oh, the sun and the water. It's like, nah, I'll go to the pool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Now, I will say this. If I had a sexy body, like if I had like six-pack abs, I would probably <laughs> be down at the beach all the time. You got, I mean, you got to show that off, right? Like if, if I was like that, I'd be a beach guy for sure. But good Lord didn't bless me with that. And uh, so I prefer the food. Well, that's, there's, they work together. I think they're related. They do. And you know what? You're staying at your proper hunting weight. Like you don't, exactly. you don't need to have to bulk up before the season gets here and worry about, you know, getting too cold out there and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good in my weight class right now. Uh, performing well in my weight class. I don't see any reason to really go down. Um, so I think we'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Well, Parker, man, I, I want, I've had you on my other show, the Wisconsin Sportsman, where we, you made a little bit of a case for why folks should or maybe shouldn't try hunting the South once the seasons start to wind down up north. Uh, today, we're doing a How to Hunt Deer uh, episode, and I'll be honest with you, it's 100% selfish. Um, 
I, I've got some situations changing uh, with my life where I'm going to be hunting a bit more this fall. And parts of the area where I'm going to be hunting are in Alabama and Georgia and hunting some of the hill country that I know you play around in. So I was like, I've got to get Parker on because, man, I started pulling up maps and doing some map scouting. And I was like, oh, no, this does not look like southern Wisconsin. Um, I don't I don't know what to do here. So I wanted to have you on and talk a bit about um, topo maps, specifically getting into thermal hubs, because I know that's huge for you. You've killed like 100 bucks in the last three years on thermal hubs, it seems. Um, maybe maybe not 100, but a bunch. Like you, you've done pretty well with thermal hubs. And I want to talk about locating those, but before we jump in, why don't you tell us a bit more about like you and your hunting context so that it kind of sets up exactly what we're talking about today? Well, I will start out by saying you, you lied to me. You didn't tell me you're going to be hunting part of Alabama. You told me you're going to be hunting parts of parts of Georgia. And so I agreed to come on this podcast. And then now you're here telling me, yeah, I'm going to be hunting a lot of the same areas. So now I don't even know if I want to give you like the valuable information. Oh, dude, you know I'm, what I mean? I'm scooting in real, I'm scooting in real close. I'm sitting in right now. Uh, so you better not mess around too much. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good area where you'll be at too. It is. Um, it, it, Alabama is turned into, so my progression as a hunter was, I shot my very first deer while we were visiting family in Alabama. Um, I lived in West Texas where hunting was kind of a rich man's sport. The only time we really got to hunt in my younger years, probably up till junior high was when we came to Alabama. Like I got my hunter safety done so I could hunt by myself. When we go to Alabama, like it was all about Alabama from there. My first deer when I was 10 in Alabama. And so I had this, I grew up with this idea that, Alabama is like the mecca of all things whitetail deer. Like this is, if you want to kill whitetails, you hunt Alabama. I know Bill Jordan and all them guys are telling me to go and hunt Milk River in Montana, but no, it's, it's all about Alabama. That's kind of how my mindset was growing up. Um, then my dad got on a hunting leash. He saved up all year, you know, for my junior high and high school years, got on a leash in West Texas and we saw big deer. Like that was really kind of where I, cut my teeth on like normal hunting. Like it wasn't just holidays that we hunted. We could hunt all throughout the season. And we saw big deer. I shot my first big buck out there. So then I got spoiled by West Texas. And when we would go to Alabama, I'd be like, there ain't no deer there, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and so I uh, ended up moving to Alabama right after high school to work at a church and um, kind of had the same thought process like man this place sucks it is hard to hunt it's difficult to hunt um and i'm really telling a long roundabout way of getting to your original question but uh i i i was in hunting club at this time and i wasn't killing deer like i might kill a, a scrub buck you know once a season and maybe a doe or two but largely i was like feeling very down on alabama hunting and then we moved again. We moved away from here. Once I got married, we moved back to West Texas. I hunted there for a little bit and then moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And I got to hunt around there. And still to this day, the largest buck I ever killed, uh, I killed when we were living in Georgia. And, uh, and so I really enjoyed 
and learned a lot probably. So I discovered hunting podcasts during that time. I was listening to Wired to Hunt and Dan Johnson on Nine Finger Chronicles. And so I was absorbing a lot of really good information, things that maybe I hadn't thought about from my small way of hunting. And we moved back to Alabama and I was a little bit depressed that first year of living here or living in Alabama. I was, I was just not, I killed a couple, it was kind of the same thing, a couple does and a scrub, a scrub buck. And I was hunting hard, man. And so the next year I was just like, you know what? I am going to, I've got to get, I know there's deer and there's bucks in the places that I'm hunting. I know they're there. There's sign that they're there. We have pictures of them. I know they're there. I have got to learn how to kill these deer because I know they're there. And the only way I know how to do it is to take away all of the amenities, I guess you could call it, of private land hunting and go strictly to public land hunting. Now, there's a longer story to that that's not necessarily important. Um, and so I wanted to do that before I spent any money on a lease on property. Maybe I'm, one day I wanted to buy property. I want to be able to hunt it to its full potential. And I want to know, I want to know more about what deer are doing. And I can do that for free on public land rather than paying to not be successful on private land. And so I just sold out pretty much right then and there. Um, again, there's, there's more to that story. Uh, I decided I was going to hunt it all by water access and see what happened, you know, make some adventure out of the maybe monotony that I expected. And it was really a perfect, it was like a perfect disaster, uh, a perfect combination of I was learning and I was doing something different, something out of the box with the water access, learning how deer move and how they live in these areas. And man, just opening up an entire world. And it was a unique world because I kind of just, lucked into a form of of water access hunting that there wasn't much information about. There's not a lot of content about water access hunting at the time. I could tell you whenever I first started, I was hungry for it. I was like YouTubing how to set up your kayak for deer hunting. There's nothing at this time about what anything about it. There was like one video of a dude in um, Louisiana in one of those hero things, or I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, he was in one of those, and he took a video on his probably flip phone, cell phone, uh, kayak, or paddling out with this buck in the front. That was like the only YouTube video about kayak hunting, or really water access hunting. And so, I've always been a creative I've always, in the church world, I did graphic design. Now I do that uh, full-time. I own my own graphic design company. Uh, I do video work. I've always done that. And I just decided, like, hey, this is different. There's not a lot of information about it, so I'm going to start something. I'm just going to buy a camera. We started the podcast through Sportsman's Nation at the time, now Sportsman's Empire. And uh, Dan asked me to come alongside on that, and here we are. Like, just kind of growing in both of those worlds, not at the same time, because I felt like whenever I, whenever I picked up a camera to start hunting is when I felt like I had a good grasp on, like I was confident I could make good videos and good content out of 
what I was saying. Like, so I feel like I, I'm still like ever per- perfecting the craft of hunting. Like, I hope I never, I don't ever want to stop learning stuff, but I felt like I was at a point right there where I, I could take a camera and, um, be confident that I was going to be able to capture something. Yeah. And man, that was, that's what was important to me. I think a lot of guys were inspired by, by you. I mean, like you said, you were one of the first ones doing a lot of content on water access specifically when it comes to hunting. And, you know, since then there's been like this flurry of content that's kind of popped up, but man, I'll be honest with you. If you go look like a lot of guys did, like, here's how my kayak is set up. Here's how I'm going to plan to access. And then nothing after that. So I I think that speaks to like the amount of work that it takes. Like it can look really easy when I see Parker paddling out with a nice buck on the front of his kayak or whatever. It's a lot of work still. And, and, and I think that's why a lot yeah. of people don't do it. I think a lot of folks tried to move that direction, but then kind of pulled back. Do you, have you seen that? Yeah. And it happens with anything like that. Uh, I noticed a trend in, you know, Dan and Falk started kind of started the content around um, overlooked spots. Like go to those overlooked spots. I see guys who want to like, I try to, I don't want to, I'm not calling anybody specific out. I just see this a lot. Um, I see guys who really lean into that overlooked spot thing. Like, oh man, I found this great overlooked spot. It's right by the road. And it's like, no, dude, you're the guy that walks in a hundred yards. Like, but they're trying to make it sound like they're in this, this realm of hunters who is more tactical and, strategic in our approach and they're really the ones that are like man overlook spot overlook spot found a cool overlook spot like yeah sure those can those are great but i see a lot of people really lean into that one because it's the easiest um and what you find with things like uh like kayak access specifically i think a lot of people have boats that are it's pretty easy to just throw stuff up on a boat um but a kayak specifically people will see a video about it or hear something around and be like, man, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. Like I kayak all the time. Whenever I go fishing in the summer, like I can kayak in the, in the winter time. No problem. It's not what you think it is. Like it is hard to get up at two o'clock and for days and days and days in a row and paddle. And like, dude, there, there are so many days, when I think to myself, I really wish all I had to do was just get my stuff out and start walking for two miles. <laughs> but no, I have got to take this kayak out now, right this moment. I don't get to just sit here and wait and, you know, drink my coffee. Like right this moment, I've got to start paddling so that I can be set up in two hours. You know, like, like <laughs> those types of scenarios, it's easy to do it for like a splurge, right? Like, Every once in a while, okay, that's fine. It's not hard. But if you're doing it every single day, and then what you learn is the more you do it, the more you realize, like, I have some pretty big needs. Um, like, you've got to figure out your lighting situation. How are you going to light the boat? How are you going to stay legal, you know, and have your have your 360-degree uh, um, light? Um, how am I going to transport a a bow and or a gun without getting it muddy and, you know, soaked right before I hunt 
You want to talk about hard track keeping a muzzle on a freaking dry in a kayak. Oh, it's man. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's all these things that you think about or that you don't think about until you're in the moment. You're like, this is miserable. I don't have any of the equipment. My feet are wet. There's mud, you know, three inches of mud in my boots. Like those little things like that. And people get tired of it really quick. Yep. And I, I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, there are a few people out there that I see that have, that have really taken this approach and stuck with it and kind of formed their, uh, hunting style around it. One of them's, uh, a buddy of mine named Jacob Emery, um, out of Kentucky. And this past season he killed a couple of really nice bucks. Um, I think it was Indiana and Kentucky deer and paddled them out on his kayak. But even then you will hear, you'll hear Jacob Emery. He was using an Ascend kayak, which is like, I think it's a Bass Pro or Cabela's brand. Yep. And they're great boats, really nice boats. They have lots of, uh, lots of space, like empty hole space to put a deer on. But even, even then, like he talks about, I've heard him, he's told me before and I've seen him post it on social media. Like, it was really like it was past the limit of those kayaks and he has a great boat for it. Like I said, he's doing it a little bit more. I think at some point he'll probably end up with a new canoe because it's about the best way to do this type of hunting. Um, but if you're doing it, you know, once, you know, a season, you have one spot that you really want to go to. If you're just doing it like sparingly, like you don't have to have the nicest stuff in the world. You can get by, but if you're doing it on a regular basis, there's, there's a decent amount of equipment that needs to be like perfected. You've got to know what you're, what you're getting into. Yeah, man. I, when I first started trying that, I think my first time out, I ended up not even hunting because by the time I got to where I was going, everything was wet. I was dumping stuff in the water. It was just not good. The next time I tried it, I went out and had to figure out, okay, it's a late October afternoon here in Wisconsin, and I am wet from the waist down. Like, not just a little bit wet, but soaking wet. A cold front had just blown through, and I have to make the decision, can I safely stay out here? Um, and I was like, probably not, but I'm here, so I'm going so to hunt. Ended up having a great hunt that afternoon, and that's where I was kind of like, okay, this is a legit strategy. But I don't do it nearly as often as you. I'm the guy that's like, you know, I may hit this spot once or twice and then I'm off to something else. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep canoeing or kayaking in every single day, man. You do it all the time. That It's a, it's a grind. There's a lot of, a lot of work to it. I, I do want to hear real quick though. Uh, maybe, maybe this is better for off air. So you were hunting around the Atlanta area. Were you hitting public around there or were you hitting private or how was that working? No, I was hunting highly, highly way too pressured private land. Okay. Um, and it was, a it was a hunting club, you know, um, and, and then some permission property that I had, like, that's a, there's a lot of deer. There's guys like seek one who are putting out a lot of good stuff about hunting around Atlanta and it is very good. Um, you know, you can find, if you can find an acre or two acre woodlot, it's going to have deer in it. So I did a, a little bit of that and then I was on a hunting club and on this hunting club, uh, I actually, I killed two, so it's a, it's a two buck state and the two bucks that I killed, one of them was 
you know, at the time, one of my biggest deer, he was like 117 inch buck and I almost let him walk. And then I kind of look at him. And I was like, man, I don't think so. And I'm glad <laughs> I didn't. Cause he ended up just being like, he ended up being like a 250 pound, 117 inch deer. It made his, oh, it made yeah. his rack look tiny. Yeah. And now granted 117 inch deer is not a giant, but this is not the part of Georgia with crops. I mean, it's just woods, you know, these deer are living on food plots and acres. Like that's it. Um, and then, uh, later that season I went out, the rut was already over. I was like pretty content with my season. And, uh, I was out just trying to shoot a doe. And I sit on this food plot that I've never, never hunted before. Rut was over and I see a doe run by fast as lightning. Like what? And I flip. And I was like, man, I'm, I can't, I, can't, I couldn't see her very well. It was just getting dark. And all of a sudden I see this giant rack, um, through my, through my scope. And at first I thought it was a doe and I was about, to, and then I saw, and I saw this giant rack in the scope and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to wait for the perfect shot for this thing. Like I've got to let him come in close. I can't miss. And so he ended up come walking directly under my tree and I shot him, uh, like right underneath me. And he's my biggest buck to date. He's a, a really, really nice buck. So I I enjoyed the heck out of it. But the reason I sat there is I was applying a lot of these things that I had learned that I talked about. That I, that was the year that I was really consuming a lot of information, of new information. And so I don't think it was by accident that, that, that both of those bucks happened that season. It was really a testament to me, like, putting – thinking differently than all these other guys. Like I said, like it was, it was a lot of hunters on this club and, um, there was not very many spots that weren't getting hunted. And I just kind of saw this spot on the map, um, on our club map. And I was like, man, that has got with all this stuff that I'm hearing. I have never once seen a person pin out to this spot. And so I went and looked at it. And the reason why is because it was a, terrible food plot like absolutely awful hardly anything grew in it i don't oh, know yeah. i don't know much about food plots but it was just it was bad but i get there and i spend the whole afternoon scouting like a six six to eight hundred yard radius of this food plot and i'm like seeing all this stuff now now i would probably never do all of that scouting and then go hunt it that night but i'm glad i did um but i i can see all this buck sign around it i'm like dude there are there's a buck in here. There's a good buck. And I sat there that night and killed him. And Man. it was just like, that was the year while I was still hunting private land. That was the year that I really started understanding more and hunting differently than everybody else around me. And it was noticeable. Yeah, man, you've since that time, obviously you've continued to progress uh, and one of the things that you have uh, introduced a lot of people to is the, the concept of hunting around thermal hubs, especially right around rut time frame. Are you hunting those before and after rut as well? Or, or is that pretty much you've got a three week window or so that you're targeting them? Yeah. Well, first off, I cannot take credit for thermal hubs. I think, I think the way that it, that it worked out, I get credit for thermal hubs. And I'll talk about them because I, th I don't think they're understood as much as um, they should be. 
But the first time I ever even heard of a thermal hub, heard the words used were by Aaron Warbritton on an Iowa video where he was explaining it. I was like, well, that gum, I own a lot of spots like that. And I don't even realize it. Like, and that's a, that's something I hear said a lot, but what happened for me with that specific, the, the, when it really started clicking, I had a lot of good buck videos in thermal hub and like, it worked out so perfectly where I looked like I really knew what I was talking about with thermal hubs. Um, but like I would in the video, I would say like this buck's going to come from right here. And if, if I see a buck, he's going to do this. I feel very confident. I say that crap a lot and it ends up getting deleted because <laughs> <laughs> nothing works out that night, you know, or that morning. Yep. Like I say that all the time because you want to make yourself look as you want it to you want people to know why you're there. Yeah, but absolutely. obviously they're deer, they're deer. And so it happened a couple of times where I could, I said it and it worked out and I shot a deer, I shot a buck and he did exactly what I wanted him to do and what I thought he would do. And, uh, it just kind of played out. I also have seen it work out for a lot of people. Um, like I'll watch, I'll watch videos. I'm, I, I, I watch YouTube a lot more than most YouTube creators do. Um, I do, but I still watch hunting shows on YouTube all the time for multiple reasons. I'm trying to find guests, potential guests for a podcast or, you know, whatever. I want to be involved in that space, but I'll see guys share a map of their setup. And I'm like, they're a thermal hub. They don't even freaking realize it. Um, and I always feel like if I'm in, if it's the rut and I'm looking for a place to, Real, like I don't have an, any idea of what I'm. I, I don't have a specific buck. There's not a specific spot that I want to hunt today. Those type of situations, I'm going to choose a thermal hub because, especially the times when you really don't have a clue what you're going to do that day, you have the highest odds that a deer is going to be in that area. And here's why. Like I, I kind of, are you cool with me giving like just a kind of a brief explanation of it? Yes, please. Okay, so if you think about a spot where, think about like five, it's just, just for time's sake, let's say you have three ridges that all dump down into one central spot. So it almost looks like a turkey foot on a map. The ditch part of it will, the holler part of it will look like a turkey foot um, or a crow foot. Uh, so the, another way is like spokes off of a, a, a bike wheel. Like they all dump down into that one central location. The ones that I prefer to hunt are going to be the low thermal hubs. So where you have ditches or, or ridges, three ridges dumping down into one spot. And I want to set up in that spot because during the rut, if you're in a ridgy area, if you're in a hilly area, the bucks are cruising hard and the cruising sides of ridges. Like I have found that to be one of the most consistent trendy things that I've heard people talk about, um, that Dan and kind of brought to limelight was, um, bucks cruising the leeward side of a ridge. I mean, they do that all the flipping time. That is how they move. Like you'll have, random situations where maybe a doe runs and does a different thing than that. But by and large, if a buck is cruising during the rut, 
he is going to be on those leeward sides of the ridge. It's just so consistent. I can't argue it. Um, well, when you think about three ridges that all have leeward sides in some form or fashion, you've just upped your odds three times from just hunting one side. Now, there are definitely times where I don't hunt thermal hubs and I know there's a buck and he's using this leeward side of a ridge. Like, there's times that like, I do that probably more than I hunt thermal hubs even. But if I don't know what I'm going to do that day, I'm going to choose the thermal hub because I want the odd, the highest odd. Yep. Sometimes you can find them where there will be like four or five, you know, and, and what ends up happening if you, if you hunt them in the morning, so this is where it gets to be like, it's not science because it's really not that much, but to explain it via podcast, people are going to feel like I'm saying a whole lot of factors. Sure. But if you are coming at it in the morning, if you know about thermal, so thermal knowledge is very important before you ever even start to dive into thermal hubs. So if you don't know about thermals, maybe pause this episode and go find a podcast about thermals and learn what they do. And then this will make a whole lot more sense. Yep. Um, but if you know about thermals, you know that they do what they drop whenever the sun's not up in, in basic, in basic, uh, language. When the sun is down, thermals are, are dropping. So, um, and they tend to drop the direction of water most of the time. And so coming at it from water access, I'm thinking about when I access a piece of property, all of that, that thermal scent is sucking down to where I'm coming from. So I don't have to worry about my scent dispersing out unless it's a high wind day. Like wind is all, is going to overpower thermals, but when the wind's not blowing, that's where the thermals really come into play. So I know when I'm coming from the water, most of the time my scent is all sucking back to my access. I'm, I'm accessing low. And then what happens when the sun comes out, the thermals start to rise and they'll go uphill. Everybody knows the term heat rises, right? Like everybody, everybody knows that heat rises. So you think about it when the sun comes up, it heats up that air and it rises. And when you're in really hilly country, that matters a lot. And so I'm going to try to set up in a way that my wind, number one, is in my favor, forecasted in my favor for the day, for that spot. I want that. That is the most, uh, that dictates where I hunt the most, the wind direction for that day. Um, Number two, I want my thermals to be pulling when I access. I want them to be coming back to me. I don't want to ruin the hunt before I even get set up. And then I also want the wind and thermals to be in my favor in my final spot that I'm going to set up in. And so there are times where your thermals and your wind direction are going the same way. So no matter what, you're pretty much going to be good to go. If you set up in a place where the right wind is in your face and also it's uphill behind you, you're probably going to be good for that eight to nine o'clock range when I feel like eight, maybe eight to 10 range when I feel like I killed the majority of my bucks during the rut. 
is that that time frame. As long as I'm set up where my thermals are good and my wind is good, by that point, I'm I'm probably going to go set up there. With a thermal hub, what you get is a lot of um, a lot of thermals pulling and rising and wind blowing and swirling and doing all kinds of crazy stuff that it is incredibly difficult to know that you can get in there undetected, undetected. Um, that's why a buck is there. They are in the, in the nighttime, you're going to find when you find these thermal hubs in that bottom where all the ridges come together, you're going to find scrapes. You're going to find rubs. You're going to find tracks. You're going to find the biggest buck sign right there because all the thermals from every direction are pulling down to that one spot. It's like all from everywhere because wind's not blowing. Thermals are working hard in the, in the dark. It's pulling down. I know people can't see the way that my, <laughs> my hands are moving, <laughs> but I hope I'm being descriptive enough. Yeah, like it's yeah. pulling down into that spot. In the same way, whenever the thermals start rising, those thermals are going to start going and they're going to go every freaking direction possible. They're going to go all over the place. And that's why you have to be, it has to be such a perfect setup to get away with it. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't do it a lot with a, with a bow in my hand because it's just to get one into bow range is that much harder. To get one into rifle range, you have a pretty decent chance. But even to even see one come down in there, because he's going down into that hub to smell what does have been in there. And he can go into one spot in the nighttime and smell what does are on all three ridges. And in the daytime, what he has to do is he has to do a big circle right around that military crest, um, usually. Or sometimes there's bluffs or something that dictate his travel. He's going to be on a bench and he's going to hit the tip of all three of those ridges that are coming down. And that way he's going to be able to smell any doe that has been in that entire radius. Like that whole area, he's going to be able to smell them because the wind is doing all kinds of crazy things. The thermals are pulling, winds blowing, winds swirling. And he's there because he has 100% more advantage. Um, and with hunting pressure, most folks are going to know, like, if there's a hunter in there, I'm going to smell him. You know, I don't know if they have the ability to reason quite like that, but they know that smells. If there's a human there, I'll be able to smell him and I'll get out of there. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. 
This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. How, how often are you getting busted in these hubs? Because when I, so a lot of folks know I lived in Alabama. I hunted uh, not terribly far from you, a couple hours south. And I would find thermal hub type areas uh, and I would just avoid them. They would be eat up with sign, but I'd sit there and wouldn't see anything. And I think a lot of it is I was just getting, I was getting busted. Like everything in the area knew that I was there. How often are you getting busted when you go down to these spots? Because I'm just thinking, okay, I come in low, I set up, uh, especially if I'm trying to be within bow range, right? Let's, let's just call it that just because that's what a lot of folks will, will relate to. Let's say I'm trying to get within bow range. Are you staying really low when you set up? And are you trying to access from what you think is like the least likely direction of buck travel? Because I imagine with a hub, if you've got four or five different ridges dumping down, I doubt you can really get away from all the buck movement. Yeah, and sometimes you can't, right? Like for my situation, coming at them from water, I know that I'm always accessing from the lowest elevation. Like that has to be. Um, and so what I find hunting these spots in the mornings are really, really, um, a lot more beneficial for me because my access is good. Everything's good. If I go at it in the evenings in a thermal hub, I can guarantee you as long as the, unless the wind is in my favor perfectly and, and overriding the, uh, the thermals, I can always pretty much, pretty much guarantee you that when, when I access my the thermals are not in my favor, right? Yep. Like the thermals yep. are always rising at two o'clock in the afternoon Yep. for the most part, you know, as long as the sun's out, whatever. Um, where I usually go to these type areas, honestly, is when there's a very inconsistent wind. Like if there's a, if, if the wind direction rotates 360 degrees in the forecast for that day, I'm going to go hunt a thermal hub because um, the, when you have that much elevation surrounding you, it blocks the wind a little bit. The wind's already going to be swirling in that spot. Um, I don't want to screw up a spot that has a very, that needs a very specific wind direction. So I'm going to go into a thermal hub where the wind's being blocked the thermals are really the thing that matters. The wind's always going to swirl in there anyways. And I'm going to at least have a chance, right? Like I at least have a shot of doing this. And one of the things that I, and this is where it gets, this is the not science, but it's the very specific scenario of the thermal hub and where I find that they really work. Okay. If I can set up in this hub, and be on the opposite side of where I believe the deer are going to come from. That's important. You want to, like, you still need to have some type of idea of which direction. In my case, 
I believe the deer are probably going to come from the direction that's not the way I already accessed. And also all it is back there is water. Yep. So I believe most of the deer are going to be coming from a certain direction. Um, that's a, usually the way that you access is the way that I would say is the opposite of the way you want the deer to come from yep. most of the time, if you're accessing correctly. Um, so I already know where I believe the deer are going to come from. If I get on the opposite side of a water source from that spot, while the thermals are pulling, if I can just get just a little bit of elevation, like five feet of elevation from where it's the, the smallest, where I'm already kind of on an uphill incline, the opposite side of where I think the deer are going to come from. I keep saying that, but it's very important. Um, when the sun is down, you know, before the thermals start rising, my thermals are going to pull to that water. They're never going to touch. They're never going to touch where I believe the deer are going to come from. They're going to pull to that waterway or the coolest, the coolest air, and it's going to follow that. It's not going to cross it. It's going to go unless the wind overpowers it. Again, there's very specific things. You want to still make sure that the wind is in your favor as much as you can. Um, so I know my thermals are going to be doing that before they Once they start rising, the air is going to push up out of that coolest spot, in this case a creek or whatever, that lowest area. They're going to push up, but it's still going to be pushing up away from the area that I think the deer are going to be coming from. So I am in a, a win-win, which we all know in weather forecasting for deer hunting never is, is rarely correct, but it, it does work from time to time. Um, but you want to find those setups where specifically in the morning where you can get away with it no matter what. It still works in the evening as well, almost inverse, inverse way. The reason I don't typically do it in the evening is 100% due to my access. Like from the time I get out of the boat till I find my tree, I feel like I could find a tree that is fine. Like the tree is okay, but it's the walk from the boat to the tree. And I'll be honest with you, because of the way that I hunt, because of coming at them from water, I don't hunt a lot of eagles. Anyways, like if I, if I have all day to hunt, I'm probably going to go and I'm going to sit all day or sit until one or two o'clock. Um, I don't, I just don't have a lot of activity in the big woods where you don't have those like destination food sources and things that really get pounded in the evenings. Um, I don't, I don't, it's on public land. I don't think in Alabama I have killed a buck in the evening. Maybe ever in Alabama. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt that at all. I've had similar, similar results. If I'm not, I mean, if you don't have a place that's, you know, full of food plots and that kind of thing. Um, and even then you don't see the bucks coming out. So I, I'm, I'm envisioning. Hey, and, and real quick. I hate to, I hate to interrupt you right here, but this is, this is pretty important sure. to, um, the other thing that I, I, I won't really hunt a thermal hub outside of like rut. Okay. And when I say rut, I mean like the end of pre rut into the beginning of post rut, like in all the way through the peak of the rut, I'll go to them. Um, because they are such a bulletproof setup for a deer, 
because it's a bulletproof spot for a deer. Um, we all know that bucks um, and does, honestly, both deer are just going to be cagier um, outside of the rut. Yep. They, they're just going to be like little cokeheads, you know, outside of the rut. But during the rut time frame, you can get away with a setup that maybe isn't 100% bulletproof for you. You have a better chance during the rut. I've had bucks chase big bucks chasing does come directly from downwind. Sometimes they won't care about it. So that's another another very specific time frame for hunting them is when you can get away with the most. Yeah, so not messing with them much, which I, I guess there's not a lot of value to them other than thermal hubs could be drought. There could be a lot of acorns in there just given the amount of water that's around. And, and bedding. I mean... Yeah, I think thermal hubs thermal hubs get used year round by these deer because they have so many great bedding locations close together. All they've got to do is go down and up, and they're in they're ready for the complete opposite wind direction. They don't have to travel a long ways during the summertime or whatever. So that's another reason I don't hunt them outside of the rut because those freaking jokers are bedding right there, looking at where you're coming into. Yep, during the off season, they're they're laying down watching you. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they're great spots. They hold deer all year long. If you're going to put a camera up to get inventory, a freaking thermal hub is perfect. Um, because you're going to have a lot of deer there naturally. So I, when, when I'm in, I'm trying to envision thermal hubs and I've been doing a lot of map scouting lately, uh, which is what prompted me to reach out to you in the first place. Cause I'm looking at all these spots. I'm like, okay, does this qualify as a thermal hub? Um, one of the questions that I've had is how big of an area are you looking at when you're, when like, let's say the tips of those ridges kind of all come down to one bottom. Is this a, a hundred yard across circle? Are you looking for just the tighter, the better? Like, like what are we talking when it comes to the overall size of the spot? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I had seen some before that on a map, you're like, man, this is going to be freaking perfect. And when you get there, it's just, uh, it's just, maybe it's too big. I can't even see the other side of the thermal hub if yeah. I wanted to. Yep. Right. Yep. Like the whole point is, is you want to be able to see all of, all of those where they dump down. You want to be, you don't have to see the whole, you don't have to see all the way up to the very top of a ridge, but if you can see part of that, then you have a pretty decent chance of, of seeing a buck that hits it. Like you're wanting to increase your odds of, of a deer being in that location, you need to be able to see all of those locations. Um, again, that's another reason why I prefer to hunt them with a rifle. Um, because you got to make quick moves, you know? Um, and, uh, the other thing, like you don't want it to be too tight because you don't want one swirl of the wind to ruin your whole spot. Yeah. Like all it takes is, is one time for that wind to just, swirl in that little tight spot um to to really screw you up pretty bad um and so it there really is like a perfect distance and a good video that people can watch there's two good videos that i can think of that people can watch um one of them is mine and one of them is my buddy clayton that he did for tethered um he did when we were hunting in kentucky this past year he killed a really, really good buck on the thermal hub that uh, you can really kind of see how deer are congregating. And he's in Kentucky where 
there's there's more deer, higher deer density, um, and in most places a thermal hub is is uh, you're not just going to find 15 of them on the map. You know, the the terrain really is kind of specific right there. Like it has to do certain things, and so um, if you can find one in a state like Ohio, Kentucky. Illinois, you know, any of these Midwestern states that might have some hill country, man, there's going to be bucks there. I guarantee you there's going to be bucks there because they don't have a lot of spots like this that are so advantageous to them. Um, and then another video is mine from a, a video I did last year where I killed this buck on a, it was one of those where I just predicted what he was going to do and he did it. And uh, I'm able to explain it really, really well with pictures and you can watch how the deer actually uses this hub. Um, and, and, and the easy way for guys to think about like when they're doing what you're doing and trying to picture it is like, what, what do you, what do you, what's a hub, a hub, a hub cap, um, a, <laughs> people are going to think funny things about that statement, but what is a hub to you? Uh, but it's, it's a place where a whole lot of things come together. Yep. Right. Like, like if, if we were at the beer hub, right. Like it's a place where a lot of guys come together to drink beer. Um, like anything with that, you know, there's a lot of people coming together right there at that, at that time. So, right. And so if you under, this is why it's so important to understand thermal, there are other types of thermal hubs than just the ones that I'm talking about. It's important to understand if you can find a spot and you are educated on thermals, you know how they work, you can find a spot and say, that is a central location where a where thermals from a bunch of directions are going to come to. If you can say that, then it's a thermal hub. Like there, there are similar thermal hubs uphill up on top, you know, um, it, it works in swamps, dude, they're, there's some thermal hubs in swampland and flat swampland that's incredible. I mean, like, I believe that's largely why a lot of deer um, are on islands. They bed on these islands. It's because they have water around and it creates these, this hub of thermal. Um, but the other thing that's important to it, too, if you want to increase your odds even more, is to make sure that the habitat around these thermal hubs are really good deer habitat. You know, like there's one spot that I hunt that is a pine thicket up on top of all these ridges, like a clear cut of all on all these ridges. They just clear cut this whole area. And now it's like thick and grown up and nasty. And I know that deer are living in those spots and never coming into the open other than in this hub that I'm talking about. So I know everything surrounding me holds deer and I got water right behind me. I've got a river directly behind me and deer are naturally going to be, um, attracted to that. Uh, it has the best food sources around these types of areas. And so like, I'm, I'm stacking those odds the more I go. Now you can find a thermal hub in a big wide open hardwood and there ain't a freaking thing around it that screams that there should be a big buck here. But if it's during the rut, it could still very much work. He's looking for does. That's his number one thing. He doesn't care about the food nearly as much. He doesn't care about the security and the safety nearly as much. 
um, he's looking for does. And so you can go into these thermal hubs in wide open stuff during the rut, and it's going to be potentially be great. But I'm always going to look for just one more thing, one more thing that I can stack to put those odds in my favor. So these hubs, I've got two more, two questions that are coming to mind. Um, the first is, are these typically like where, I mean, it's spe- specifically kind of where you're hunting, are they going to be where like two branches of a Creek kind of come together a lot of times? Uh, or does, does that make sense where it's like, you know, that's what's yeah. creating these ridges kind of all coming together. So basically where Creeks fork off, is that going to be? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. If you're, if you are in hill country and let's say you're not using Spartan Forge or Onyx or topo you're not using any type of topography mapping system which most people are now if you're in the hill country and you just see a spot on google maps where the blue line splits of a curve go check it out because that's probably going to be three ridges coming together if you're in hill country like that's a just an obvious sign if you've got creeks coming together Every once in a while, you'll find them. I'd say three is the average that I find. If I can find those three, then I'm good. Um, like, just more than two is really all I'm looking for. And there's been times where I've hunted two ridges coming together, coming down, and that's been great, too, because it's still more band, more of an advantage to them than one, and they'll cross in those spots. But, um, yeah, I, I think what you said, like, if you can find – two creeks coming together or branching off right there. That's usually pretty good. Okay. And when, you know, bucks are going to lay down a lot of sign in these areas. How important is that sign for you? Number one, when you're rating it as a spot, because I know, you know, man, you can walk into a spot during the rut that's tore up with sign and not see a single thing because it was, you know, all late pre-rut sign or whatever. Uh, So how important is that sign to you when you're picking a, a thermal hub? And then two, if there's like a couple of good scrapes, are you setting up to try to shoot those scrapes or are you just figuring that buck's cruising through the scrape doesn't really matter to me other than to tell me there's a buck using it? Yeah. I want there to be big sign in a thermal hub in the bottom. Specifically, I want there to be big sign. Gotcha. Uh, if everything goes correctly, I'm never even going to go see the top, right? Like I'm going to be accessing and everything from the bottom. Um, the only way I would know what's on top is if I've scouted that that area but usually in the bottoms of these of these hubs there's going to be big sign and i want there to be big sign in that spot now every hunt i don't almost all of them if i'm hunting a saddle or if i'm hunting a three-way transition or you know if i'm hunting a bench or something like that like i don't necessarily care as much about the big sign because I feel like terrain and security cover is going to dictate what a buck does more than anything, you know, and a lot of the signs made at night. I just assume that even though I know it's not true, I just don't kill a lot of deer over scrapes out here. Sure. Sure. Uh, but when I'm hunting a, when I'm hunting a thermal hub that, I mean, that's the best indication I know of to say there's bucks using this thermal hub regularly is if there's, if there's big signs, cause you think about it, where do bucks lay down sign where they're marking territory? Where are, where is the, where are the, the, the territory or when are they laying claim? Where are the spots that they're laying claim? Well, it's a spot where there's multiple 
<laughs> yep. Right. Yep. Like it's, it's the, the edges a lot of times of their, uh, and, and I'm making it sound like the flipping Lion King. Um, <laughs> but, but, the, but that's where they're doing it at. Right. So you have a buck and he's also coming down there and he's saying, man, there's a doe group up here. There's a doe group up here. I'm freaking, I'm laying it down right here. Yep. And because he's smelling all of these different deer because all deer are finding advantage to the hub. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I definitely want to see if I walk into a thermal hub and I don't see any sign around it, I, I'm, honestly, I might not, I might not even hunt it. Okay. Um, because that kind of tells me there's not just a ton of deer in here. Sure. But it's not really playing into necessarily your setup. Like you're not like, oh, I need to be 30 yards downwind of this scrape. No, man. No, not at all. Because I feel like in these spots, what, what you're predicting just by hunting them, what you're predicting the deer are going to do is um, go all the way around it. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to do that a lot of the time. So like I, I may set up in the spot where my thermal and wind advantages be best. Um, sometimes depending on what I'm hunting with, which like I said, most of the time it's with a rifle in these hubs, I'm going to, set up where my best shot to get it on camera, best shot, everything is where I think the deer is going to interact. Um, which is, it's figured out by, you know, understanding how deer use terrain features, um, understanding what is actually on the other side of that. In this case, I know that it's a, there's a bench and it's bluffed out on the top side of all these ridges. So if a deer is going to come and use this hub, he's going to go below that bluff to be able to hit the whole thing. So I know like he's probably going to come in right there if he does. Gotcha. And sure enough, man, they almost do it all the time in that specific spot I'm talking about. Gotcha. So you're all right. And so you're hunting, you're hunting these hubs and it sounds like what makes a hub stand out to you is, is all different features coming together. Like you, you want to have edges, you know, up on top, or you want to have good security cover up on top, or you want to have as much as you can to kind of, stack the odds in your favor. How, how many sits are you going to give these spots Are these spots that you're thinking, all right, there, this is a one and done kind of place because man, once I'm gone, my wind or my scent is there for, for a while, or are you going to sit a hub two, three, even four mornings in a row thinking these are places where you put your time in and eventually a buck is going to cruise through. Man, I don't typically hunt any spot a lot. Um, that's just kind of there. There are times where I may have two or three spots that I'll hunt all, like really regular, like once, maybe twice in a week. Okay, but that would be a lot for me. Okay, so like almost every I've got, if I hunt it again, it'll be over a week before I hunt there. Um, and so like this, the 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 hub that I've been talking about, which is in the one I've talked about in that video, um. That specific one, uh, I killed a buck on it December 1st of 21 and then December the 13th of 21. And so like two weeks basically in between, but back to back when I hunted it, I killed my first and my third buck of the season. Um, I tagged out in that spot, you know, and the deer did like almost the exact same thing. And both times, here's the funny thing, both times, 
the reason I went there was the first time was because well, Cliff, I don't know what the heck to do. I'm not seeing a ton of deer in the spot or a ton of bucks in the spots that I've been hunting this week. The wind's supposed to shift 180 degrees. I guess I'll just go in here. So it was kind of a burner. Kill the buck. The second time, the 13th, it was like perfect weather conditions. It was like, man, this is the day that I need to be in my best spot. Mm. And I get halfway down the road and I realize I don't have the battery for my trolling motor. And the spot that I was going to hunt was like three out, three miles deep Ooh. on the kayak. Ooh. And I didn't have time to paddle it. And I was like, I've just got to go somewhere else. So I was like, well, I need a spot that I don't have a, a super far paddle. I just need to get into an area real quick today. This is going to be a burner hunt. Go in there, fill my third tack on a good buck. And it was like, crap. This spot's pretty good. And <laughs> here's, here's the other thing. Uh, the other thing about this area, I've hunted it for like five years. And I have never seen a single deer there. Not a single deer. I always see signs. Always have seen signs. But I wasn't hunting it during the rut. I wasn't really thinking about the spot as a thermal hunt. I was, I was hunting kind of a different, I was hunting it a different way. And I never hunted it once during the rut. And now, man, it's like, I'd be stupid not to go back and hunt that spot during the rut, but I won't hunt it any other time. Yeah. When are you, when are you, um, when are you taking me to that, to that spot? Well, here's the deal. It, it's kind of a small spot. It, we can't really have multiple people in this spot. So well, you can just put, you can put just me. If, <laughs> sometime, sometime in that December 1st to 13th range would be great. If we can, uh, that'd be a good one. Yeah, I think that if we can work that out. So, uh, well, man, you had an absolutely stellar season last year. You killed six bucks. Is that right? Uh, let's see. I think, I think not all um, in Alabama. <laughs> no, 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 not all, not all in Alabama. I think that's, I think that's right. I killed Kentucky, um, no, North Dakota, Kentucky, three in Alabama, one in Texas. So, Man, do you think you're going to be able to repeat that? I don't know. We'll see. Man. Um, How much? Uh, I am. Oh, go ahead. I don't know. Like, I, I've always been, like, I'm a, a, a quantity guy. Like, my quality goes up. Like, the consistency, maybe my, my average of quality bucks has gone up greatly. But, um Man, it is hard down here when you see a hundred to a hundred and ten bucks, and you just don't see a lot of them. And it's hard for me not to shoot hundred to a hundred and ten inch deer. Man, because you just they're they're not on every corner. Like yeah. I know I could go to Kentucky right now. That maybe not right now, but I could go to Kentucky and and within a day, two days. I'm going to see 120, 130 inch buck yep. somewhere. Like he's, he might run in front of me on the road or something. Like I'm, but he's there. There's, there's deer there. They're that size. Alabama is just not that way. And so it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, um, pass up that caliber of deer, even though I know there's bigger caliber. So anybody who's listening to this that has not seen these videos, like I killed six bucks, but I'm also like an opportunist guy. Like, 
only one of them was what I would consider to be a small deer um, in North Dakota of all places. Uh, <laughs> he was a, just a, a tiny deer. It was all situational. You got to watch that video to understand it. But, um, you know, I think this year I want to, I want to up my quality game a little bit more. Like I don't have any, I really don't have anything to prove to myself or anybody else that I can kill mature deer consistently. I can kill multiple of them a year. Um, because I have, you know, I don't, I don't got to prove that to myself. I know I can do it. Other people know I can do it. I want to start. I'm not going to say that I'm going to become a, a, an inches chaser. I'm because I'm not, but I just want to up my quality a little bit. So that's why I don't know that I could tell you like, yeah, I think I'm going to compete with what I did last year. So I don't think that, but I think that the, I think the quality of the deer that I kill will be better. It'll be more, more memorable, you know, maybe work a little bit harder for them. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. With so that. is this the year that Parker McDonald passes 105 inch eight point? We'll talk in December. We, yeah. So, so here's where it's at for me. Like, uh, early season when it's bow season here in Alabama, man, I won't pass a lot. Like of anything, anything in that range, I'm going to shoot every single time. Sure. Once rifle season comes in and if I've got, you know, we three tags. So, you know, if I've got, three tags in my pocket when rifle season comes in. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to start packing those type of deer until I only have one tag in my pocket. There you go. You know what I mean? Like when I have one tag, I think that's what I'm going to be like really, really more picky. Um, and then like I'm, I'm planning on doing Illinois this year. And so if I see a 105 inch deer, you know, at the beginning or midway through the trip in Illinois, like I probably would let it walk. Probably do the same in Kentucky too. Um, Cause those are the States where I feel like I have the best chance of being able to kill a, a lot better deer. Yep. All right. When are you going to Illinois? I don't know yet. Okay. I'm trying to work that out. Gotcha. I, I'm, uh, I am kind of looking at several different dates. I've got some buddies that are going one week, like late in October, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to go like pre-rut, you know, like I'd like to go to Illinois when it's like hot and heavy. Yep. Yep. For sure. Well, man, thanks for coming on the show today. Where can folks go to see and keep up with all that it is that, uh, you've got going on? Yeah, you can go just on, um, on YouTube to watch the video stuff. It's Southern ground hunting. Um, this year is going to be a little bit different. I've largely been doing my channel solo and I like that aspect of it. You know, I, I, I'm a solo guy most of the time when I hunt. Um, but my buddy Matt Reeves is going to come on and start putting video content up and we're already putting up some of his old videos and, um, he is a killer. He's a killing machine. Like he's a really good hunter, really good guy. So I think, I think it's going to be a great fit and people are going to really enjoy his stuff. So you'll get double the videos probably. Um, if not more than double with us working off of each other there. Uh, I also have a podcast on the sportsman's empire 
podcast network uh, with me and Matt, the guy I was talking about, and then um, buddies Adam Cruz, Drew Robbins, and Luke Parker are all co-hosts on it with me, and um, we talk about you know same type of stuff. Lots of conversation-based stuff where we just kind of talk about current, maybe current deer events, you know, our current hunts here in the season. Um, and uh, we have some really good guests there as well. And then uh, social media, Southern Ground Hunting, all lowercase, all one word on Facebook and Instagram. Sweet, man. We're looking forward to seeing uh, what you get into next year or this coming fall. Um, was it Matt's video that went up, was it last week I watched one of his older hunts, maybe from last year where he killed like a funky horned looking thing is uh-huh. like his first morning or something like that. Yeah. It was a, it was a bonus buck Alabama on some of the WMAs. That's right. Has these bonus buck hunts where you get an extra tag and he had killed his three bucks. And we went on this, this bonus buck hunt together and uh, I scouted for a full day and found some really good stuff. I didn't see a deer. That joker gets there late at night, goes in blind to a spot and kills a buck. Without any like, rain gear in the rain. Yeah, it was wild. He's a, like I said, he's that's a regular thing for Matt. Like he's he's a good deer hunter, really good deer hunter. Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Absolutely. and I'm going to text you all my questions about thermal hubs as I uh, move through the summer. All right, sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me off. And that is all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Big thanks to Parker for coming on the show. Also, big thanks to all of our partners. Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. Go support the partners that support this show. If you're looking for more outdoor-themed content, head over to the Sportsman's Empire uh, website, sportsmansempire.com, where you'll find this podcast, a slew of other outdoor-themed podcasts, and also my other podcast that you might want to check out, The Wisconsin Sportsman. Give it a listen. It's based in Wisconsin, but I think the content is relevant no matter where you call home. Mm-hmm.